been a while since we've done this. If you remember, we're going to dismiss our elementary students right now along with their classroom leaders. I love this rhythm for us as a church that we want to just reach out a hand and bless them as they go. We're going to say, the Lord be with you as you worship. So say that with me. The Lord be with you as you worship. And I love that we got done singing here, but singing is not the only form of worship, is it? All of life is meant to be that. Even doing some great Lego work back in some elementary classrooms, right? Lord, be with you as you worship. Uh, Michael Green, in a great book called Evangelism Through the Local Church, he points out that there's a note of joy that runs through the Gospels in people's encounters of Jesus. A note of joy in their encounter that leads them to tell other people about Jesus. So for instance, one of the first disciples that we hear about is named Andrew. And Andrew was there when Jesus was baptized. And he immediately started following Jesus that afternoon, it says in the scriptures. And then even just after a couple of hours, Andrew is driven to go find his brother named Simon and to tell him, hear this, we have found the Messiah. Just a couple of hours hanging out with Jesus and he's already going around telling people, I found the Messiah. What is that like to be with Jesus? That he's so compelling that you are convinced he is the one everyone's been waiting for for hundreds of years. We have found the Messiah, a note of joy. Or again, there's a story of a man who was demonized and living among the tombs outside of his town. And when Jesus arrived on the shore where he lived, he came before Jesus and Jesus set him free, released him, brought him back into his right mind. And this man begged to go with Jesus to follow him. But Jesus instead said, go, hear this, and tell everyone that you know. Go tell your people what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went, and it says that he told everyone what Jesus had done for him. Again and again and again, we see a note of joy as people encounter Jesus that leads them to want to tell others. And isn't this how it happens in our own lives when we experience something great? How difficult it is for us not to share when we find something new that we love. Uh, next time you see a great movie or have an amazing meal at a restaurant or you hear a brilliant, hilarious joke, just do your best not to tell anyone about it. Just don't say anything. And it's miserable because part of your joy is in sharing it with other people. To keep it to yourself does not feel right. It's not how we were made, made to share it. Hear this from Michael Green. He writes this. I love this. One of the most wildly credited and wildly inaccurate myths is that Christianity is dull. It is nothing of the kind. Formal religion is dull as dishwater, but the friendship of Jesus, which lies at the heart of true Christianity, is the most exhilarating thing in the world. You cannot help but share this. So let me just be clear. If you are here this morning and you are exploring what it means to know Jesus, I want to invite you to press through Maybe the formal religion that you have been exposed to, that I agree with Michael Green, is as dull as dishwater. 
Let that not define what it means to know Jesus for you. Instead, be encouraged that there is real living water in Jesus that satisfies the deepest parts of who you are. Press through, keep exploring. There is such beauty in the person of Jesus that is incomparable. And if you're here this morning and you do know him, as it says in Philippians, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, can they say out of that, let his life flow out of you. If there's a note of joy in your encounter with Jesus, do not hold that to yourself, but let it flow out to other people. Let me put it this way. Jesus has gathered us here in this room, not just to sing songs and to be full of his presence here, but to send us out as light. We are not just called to trust in Jesus, to believe in him, to be redeemed, and then sit on our hands. He has called us to go testify and to share and to participate in his mission. You hear me? We are sent as a church. We're not meant to remain here in comfort. We're not meant to lock ourselves away and just keep Jesus between us and him. We are sent to a world that needs this truth. So last week, we looked at a verse from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21. Very simple phrase. All it says is, the Father sent me, so I send you. What we looked at is that our mission, how we are sent, is based on how Jesus was sent from the Father. So we don't get to make up our mission or our strategy or what we are doing. We are sent even as Jesus was sent. So our mission is going to be defined by the mission of God in the world. We must first look at Jesus in order to see how we are sent. Does this make sense? As the Father sent me, so I send you. I am the model. I am what you are following and how you are sent, so we must look at Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus is very clear how he was sent from the Father. We said there's roughly 39 times in the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about being sent. It's on his lips all the time, all the time. So his disciples would have heard this again and again and again. And last week we looked at two of these ideas that Jesus said he was sent by the love of God, God's deep compassion for our world. But he also said he was sent to do the will of the Father. We looked at those last week, the love of God, and that we've been sent to do the will of God. And this morning we're going to look at we've been sent for the glory of God, sent for the glory of God of God. What's this mean? If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. I'm just going to read three verses, one here in chapter 7 and then two others in chapter 8. We'll have this on slides for you. John, chapter 7, verse 18. Hear this word from the Lord. Jesus is saying this, and he says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. This is the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 50. Here Jesus says this, I am not seeking glory for myself. But there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. 
Interesting. Jesus says, I am not seeking glory for myself. Go four verses later. Chapter 8, verse 54. Jesus replied, And if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. I want to look at what Jesus is saying in these three verses, but first to recognize the difference of God's word we say here at King's Cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that he has not come for his own glory. I'm not seeking to glorify myself, he says again and again. Rather, Jesus says, I have come for the glory of the one who sent me. I've come for the glory of the Father. That is my mission. And this is very fitting because this means Jesus' mission is in line with the entirety of Scripture. The central goal of Scripture is the glory of God. Hear this from Isaiah chapter 43. We could give many different verses for this, but hear this. It says, I will say to the north, this is God speaking, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So God says that every son, every daughter, from every corner of the world, he has made for his glory, his glory. And this is not one random, unique verse throughout Scripture. This is a constant cry of the Word of God. Take this from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, famously, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's fairly expansive, isn't it? That, that captures a whole lot. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, you have been made to do this. You've been made for the glory of God, that he would be lifted up. That is why you have been made. That is your purpose. Now just, just pause with me here, though. As many people hear that God made us for his glory, this seems a little strange to them. Uh, more than that, it's a bit off-putting, because it makes it sound like God is this crazy, egocentrical person, right? That God is unbelievably self-absorbed that he made everyone for his glory as if he's some crazy megalomaniac. Have you thought this before, right? God made us for his glory, yet he's good? How does this work? It's very understandable that we might think this because we have rightly been trained to see that in one another, when someone's trying to work for their own glory, we are very disgusted and put off by it. For instance, you would not love it if I took this whole morning to try to talk about how great I am, right? That would be pretty brief anyways. But if I just tried to talk about how great I am and tell you all these wonderful things about me, you all would rightly find that to be gross and disgusting. That someone would lift themselves up like that. We are trained to be turned off by this in one another. But here's the thing. You and I are human beings. We are not God. So what is sinful in us, massively selfish in us, is actually necessary, and it's needed, and it's good in God. It is good because he is entirely different. A few preachers or writers have made this clear again and again and again as John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis. I'm going to be referring to him a number of times this morning. But hear this quote from John Piper. He says this very, very well. Why it's not sinful 
for God to seek his own glory this way. He says the reason that that's not evil in God is because God is infinitely glorious. And to put his glory on display is good for us. If God were to conceal his glory from you, the very joy for which you were made would be constricted and confined and limited. In other words, what would be most evil in God is not for him to display and make much of his glory. What would be the most great disaster for you and I is if he hid it, if he concealed it, if he didn't seek his own glory, that would be our disaster because we are made to delight and enjoy and be amazed at him. So if we can't see his glory, we are missing the very thing you and I are made for. So it's actually God's great kindness, not selfishness, but God's great kindness that he is working for our, his glory, for it's our great joy. It's what we were made to admire. Let me just spell this out a little bit more with another quote from Piper here. He says this too well for me not to use his words. You were mainly made for the joy of admiration. So insightful. Not mainly the joy of sex or mainly the joy of eating, both of which are totally legitimate in their right place, but mainly the joy of admiration. This is fascinating. And not just the admiration of the skies, the mountains, and the glorious things of the universe, but the admiration of God himself. And if he didn't display that to you, you would not be able to enjoy it. So God is so kind that he has made many different pleasures in our world. Many things for us to be amazed at and to enjoy. But we are primarily made for the joy of admiration. Isn't that a reason why so many people in Kansas, they want to drive seven hours out to the Rocky Mountains, right? Because you get out there and it's just beautiful. It stuns you. Isn't that why so many people want to go to a beach and sit and listen to the waves and just be out there looking at beautiful sunsets painted against a sky full of clouds? Isn't that what we love to do? And when you're in that moment, you don't want to rush by. You want to sit and you want to stare and you want to admire And when you are doing that, there is something filling about that. There's something nourishing to your very soul and being in a place full of beauty because you are doing what you're made for, to admire. But hear me, hear me right now. These are just the echoes and the foothills of the admiration you are most made for. Yes, it's great to go look at a mountain and be by a beach, but there is a way that in your inner being, you glimpse the glory of God so that you are amazed and in awe of who he is. And you are filled with such a sense of joy and admiration. You are blown away. So that you'd say in your heart, when you are seeing God's glory, you would say, what a God you are. That you, the king of all things, would be concerned with me. What an incredibly faithful savior. That you've had such compassion to see me in my need and to come for me. What an amazing God that you want to commune and have fellowship with me in my inner being. You, the Almighty in me here. What an amazing, astounding God you are. What kind of faithful king are you that you condescended to coming in human flesh and being nailed to a cross so that I might have life in you? You've taken on my death so that I might have your joy in your life. You sit in these things and you let your heart gaze on him in his character, in his beauty, 
So your heart is stirred up in a way saying, I have such an amazing God and he's mine and I am his and nothing can take this from me. You have deep admiration in your inner being. This, this is what it means to admire God and to be amazed at him. This is what you and I were made for and just the first taste of a feast that we are going to be enjoying for all eternity. On and on and on. This is what we were made for, and this is also why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came, so that we might see the glory of God and the Father might be exalted and we might know his love and his faithfulness and his character, and we would be in awe of him. He came for the glory of the Father. You see this. As the Father sent me, so I send you. I'm really eager to connect how this comes to our own lives <laughs> and how we are sent here in Rice County, but just take a little bit more time with me. It seems necessary to distinguish how Jesus is different than us and the way that he came in his mission. We did this last week with the love of God and the will of God, but again, how is Jesus different and unique in his mission? First of all here, Jesus, he knows. He knows that he has come for the glory of of the Father, but he realizes that God will be glorified as he himself is glorified. This is why he says, the Father will lift me up, will glorify me. Because as Jesus is lifted up, God is lifted up. As Jesus is glorified, God is glorified. Hear this from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. Just this Jesus knowing that as he is seen, the Father is seen. As he's lifted up, God is lifted up. It says, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, boldly asked him, Lord, show us the Father, <laughs> and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? With incredible boldness, Philip is basically asking for what Moses asked for. Jesus, unveil for us the glory of God, that we could see him in all of his greatness and be in all of his glory. And that will be enough for us. I hope so, Philip. And Jesus says, Philip, don't you get it? You are seeing God in all of his glory. To see the Father, you see me. If you see me, you are seeing God in all of his greatness and in all of his glory, for the Father is in me and I am in the Father. What an astounding statement from Jesus. This could only happen if he is fully God in the flesh. That to see him is to see the Father. For Jesus to be glorified is for the Father to be glorified. And this is not so with you and I. And God is kindly with us, yes, God is patiently working through us. He's, yes, even at times glorified in us. He's miraculously present in us, but we cannot say that if you see Caleb, you see the fullness of the Father. I can't say that. I cannot say if you lift me up, you lift God up. I am not God in the flesh. This belongs to Jesus only. He's unique in this way. That is, he is lifted up, God is lifted up. Secondly, Jesus is unique in his mission that he has come, hear me, to rescue us from our betrayal of our purpose to glorify God. He's come to rescue us from our betrayal of our purpose to glorify God. 
says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a very common verse that people have heard, but it's actually a little bit confusing because often people read this and think that we've been called to be glorious, like God is glorious, and our sin is that we have failed to measure up to God's glory. We've failed to be as glorious as he is. But this actually doesn't make much sense, right? Because God is God, and we could never be as glorious as God is. If we were as glorious as God is, we would be God. So it is not our fault or our failure that we fail to attain a glory like God. He is God, we are not. So what Romans is talking about here is not that we haven't managed somehow in our own way to be glorious like the king of glory. That's not our fault. We are creatures, he's the creator. What then is Romans meaning? It says that we've fallen short of the glory of God and that we have chosen to admire created things that are far less and below God. We have chosen to admire their glory rather than his. So we have fallen short in what we have chosen to make our ultimate joy and prize and possession. We say, rather than making my life about admiring you, Jesus, I'm going to seek out this thing, and we fall short, because nothing is as satisfying as Jesus. Everything is below his glory. And what you were made for, we betray every day in finding our satisfaction in lesser created things. It's the message of Romans. So we say, I'm going to try to find my joy and my satisfaction in this relationship. Because if I could just be with this person, and know that they care about me and love me and share life with them, that would be enough for me. And it won't, and you're falling short of the glory of God. If I could just have this material possession, live in this home, in this place, my life would be so much better. Then I would truly be happy. We're falling short of the glory of God. From success, relationships, achievements, we are made for relationship with him. But this is why Jesus came to rescue us from our betrayal, that he came as a sacrifice for us to redeem us out of these dead, empty, fleeting pleasures that you and I are stuck in that will never satisfy our hearts. And he's putting on display the glory of God so that we can truly come back to our purpose and admire the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Does this make sense? And this only happens in Jesus. There's no way to be restored into a relationship with the Father so that you can be amazed and admire him as you were made for except coming through the blood of Jesus. There's no other way for you and I to achieve again what we were made for so that our hearts would be full of joy, set on fire with his goodness. This only happens in Jesus. There's no other way. Unique to his mission. So if this is what Jesus has come to do, finally, let's come to this place. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Stay with me, people. How does this connect to how we are sent here in Rice County? What does this mean for you and I here today and how we are sent? If Jesus is unique in these ways, how does it connect to us? Go back with me and think again about what it means to glorify God. When we are in a place of remembering how he has been faithful to us. When we are filled in our inner being with the Holy Spirit and sense his gladness in us, (laughs) when we're praising God and truly sensing his goodness, in those moments, are you not full of joy? 
Is there not gladness in you, right? So in this admiration of Jesus, as we are looking at him and being amazed at him, there is joy in our hearts. We are made glad as God is lifted up. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's just too helpful to not illuminate it this way. Again, from Piper as well. And he says, to imagine a husband coming home and meeting his wife at the door. And the husband has flowers, and he surprises her at the door. And he says to his wife, I just want to enjoy being in your presence tonight. I just want to be amazed at you, my wife, and then I get the incredible privilege of being your husband. I just want to be in your company and overwhelmed at your beauty and so amazed that I get to be with you. Any wife (laughs) that hears her husband say that at the door is not going to be like, you selfish jerk, right? (laughs) It's all about you being full of joy. All of you about being made happy in my beauty. You're so selfish. How could you make everything about you? No, no wife would respond that way, right? Instead, she would be so amazed and feel so loved because his delight in her is glorifying her. Do you see this? His joy and eagerness to be with her is showing her value and his love towards her. She's being lifted up in his delight. In the same way, Piper puts it this way that you've seen on the screens, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So since your heart is quietly on the road to work and you are contemplating him and you are so full of gladness that you're his son or his daughter and you know you belong to him and nothing's going to change that and you're just glad in him, God is most glorified in you. God is most glorified in you in these moments. But God has sent us on a mission to glorify him by testifying to other people the supreme worthiness that he has. It's not meant to remain alone that we would be full of joy and satisfaction in him and not spread that note of joy to other people. That Jesus says, let your light shine. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Which is stunning because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But the beauty is that he has put himself in you that you might know his joy. And out of you would shine this gladness and satisfaction in him. And when you have a candle, you don't put it under a bowl, it says in Matthew. You put it up on a stand so that it might shine its light throughout the room. So do not hide the light within you. If you have a joy and delight and eagerness in Jesus, let that shine. You are the light of the world. Are there not too many people in our county who are struggling? And that you might see them as you pump your gas or as you order a meal or as you sit next to them in work and you know they are wrestling with their value. They're overwhelmed by depression. They might be going through the middle of a divorce. They might be struggling in a disease and a sickness. And you know they are looking for their purpose. And how can we not, if we have the life of God in our inner being and know this is what I am made for, I delight in him. How can we not speak that to other people? seeing the struggle they are in. How will they know him unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone speaks? And how will we speak with boldness unless we know we are sent by him? You are on a mission. 
You have been commissioned to go and speak his name and to share this joy. You do not need to wait for him to tell you to go. He already has given you the word. And there's already a county that's eager for his name here. I love that Jesus says, the fields are white for harvest. It might not look that way to you. It might like look dry in your family and your place of work that no one's interested in Jesus, but hear his words, the fields are ripe for harvest. If you just have eyes to see as he sees the number of people that are craving, that are craving what they've been made for, and that you have the word that would free them if we would speak this, testify to it. I love that God has placed his very life in our inner being. That people would not just hear this in the words that we speak, but in the way that we live, no? That people would see that you are satisfied in such a way, that you're full of a life and a consistency. You're full of a contentment that does not make sense. How is this in you? You get a flat tire on your way to work. You have a coworker that's short with you and says things they probably shouldn't say to you that maybe you're in your own illness or you've just lost a loved one and people see your life and they see that you are persevering in a way that does not make sense because you have a light they don't know about in you. This is your moment to shine and to tell them that all of us have circumstances that are difficult, but I have a king who's with me that I know my purpose and what I'm made for. And yes, this grief of losing a loved one is real. Yes, this tragedy in my life is real. This sickness is real. But let me tell you, Jesus is more real to me. Can that not be true in your life? That he's placed himself in me and I'm walking daily knowing I'm a son and a daughter and I've been redeemed and I'm full of his love. And these are not just things I say, I know them in my inner being. You live in that place, you can't be shaken. Why? Not because things aren't hard, not because things aren't hard, but because you know I am safe and held fast in his hands. Let come what may, I know this is a short-term thing, and I'm set for all eternity at being with my Savior, and he's already with me. So this thing's already determined and done, the battle's won. I'm set for eternal joy in my God. So yes, I know things are hard now, but how can I not look at this circumstance in light of what I've been given in Jesus? So we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Does this make sense, church? This is what should be living out of you, the light of Christ, the hope of glory within you, so that you are speaking his life to people, and they can't help but see it in you because you're living out of his fullness. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to invite the band back up. Let's sing more in this, sit more in this. But I hope you feel stirred up and full of optimism, not guilt that you need to say more, not that you've not been a good enough Christian. That's not what I want you to leave with. (laughs) I want you to leave with saying, man, I, I think there's more in God than I might know right now. I think he's made me to be more satisfied than I am in him. And my step is to be delighting in him and then see how that manifests itself in my life and the people around me. Go here with an eagerness, full of optimism. Do you all pray with me here? Jesus, it is a stunning kindness to us that you want to work through us.
that you want your word to be spoken through us, that you're changing our lives, that you are turning all of us into love like you. That as we say that we are Christians, that's not a statement that we believe that God exists. We are Christians, not a statement that I go to church sometimes. We are Christians mean Christ lives in me. And I'm being formed into you. That you, Jesus, are the one I'm fashioned into more and more day after day, not by my own strength, but by your Holy Spirit in me. I'm confident I'm going to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did today. Not because I have my life together, but because I know I have a God in me who's faithful to continue working. And as Lord, you fashion me more into your image, that I look more and more like you. May others see that life and praise you. May they see that life and glorify you. Pray this in your good name, Jesus. Amen. Again, if you're able, would you stand and would you sing with us here this morning?